Today we're talking about, we're sort of in this series called um, Jesus All Grown Up. And today we're talking about the timing of Jesus' birth, which is really sort of unique. Christmas and timing go together. Uh, and, and waiting, you know, Christmas and waiting. And so with kids, uh, they can't wait to open their gifts. So that's why they get up five o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning to go open their gifts. That's kind of how that works. And, and dads can't wait for the gifts to be opened so they can get on with life, you know, and uh, watch football, have lunch. And, and the moms can't wait for the day after Christmas to go return the ugly gifts uh, that their husbands got them. And, and if you're a gift giver and you find the perfect gift, you can't wait for Christmas to happen so you can give the gift. There's a lot of timing that goes along with gift giving at Christmas. And a lot of shopping and that kind of thing. I heard about one guy. In fact, his name was Ed Watson. He wrote this blog about going shopping with his wife. And they were Christmas shopping, and they had some things to get. And so one of the things they bought was a cooler. They were going to buy that for one of their their sons who was a, a hunter. And so they bought this cooler, and he's carrying that around. And then the next door they bought this duffel bag, and that was for you know, one of their daughters who was who liked to travel, that kind of thing. And eventually he sits down in one of the stores in the shoe section, and it's hard to say, by the way, shoe section, uh, the shoe section, and the guy comes up and says, can I help you? And he goes, no, I'm just waiting for my wife. And the guy next to him said, well, I didn't think, uh, I'm, I'm with my wife too, I'm waiting for my wife too, I just didn't think to pack a lunch and an overnight bag. So um, uh, waiting and Christmas sort of go together. And uh, the timing of Christmas is really important. And God's timing is sometimes inconvenient, but it's always perfect. And it's never more clear than when we look at the Christmas story. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you brought a, a hard copy like this, you can turn there if you wanted to look at it on your phone or on your tablet. Luke chapter 2, it's a very traditional Christmas text. There, there's a, a verse in, in, in Ecclesiastes that says this. God makes everything happen at the right time. It's... Sometimes hard to believe, but I love the part, uh, the second part of the verse. Yet none of us can fully understand all he's done. And he puts questions in our minds about the past and the future. I think it's a really honest verse. Hey, sometimes we don't quite get why things happen the way they do. I, I mean, it's, it's a good question. Why, why, do, why do things happen the way they do? Now, this was on full display the Christmas story, this inconvenience, but also perfection. And so let's talk a little bit about um, the, the inconvenience of the Christmas story. Um, Luke 2, this is, you've probably heard this a thousand times. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. The, um, the Romans occupied the territory, and so um, Caesar was in charge of all that territory, and he wanted to make sure he knew how many people were there. Makes sense. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Alright, so if you can picture in your mind a map of Israel, it's, it's narrow and, and north and south, kind of long and tall. Um, and in the north is Israel, um, Nazareth, that's called, that part is called Israel. Um, Nazareth is there, uh, in the lower part is Judea, and that's where Bethlehem is, and so they traveled basically from north 
to south. I don't. I didn't look this up, but best I can remember, it's about 60 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the best of my remembrance. It might be more than that, but I think that's about right. And they were going from one place to the next because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Really important that Jesus was born into that family. I'm from Kentucky, as I mentioned earlier, and um, <laughs> we got people, you know, everybody's got people, and so uh, I was back uh, just this week, and I was talking to some folks, and, and you know, the conversation sometimes gets around, you know, where, uh, who, you know who, who's, who are your people, who are your cousins, and that kind of thing, because that's kind of how it works. Well, Jesus was in this one certain family, it was the line of David, that was sort of the important thing, and he went there to register with Mary, this is Joseph, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths. I love the way the King James is swaddling clothes. And placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And this is the Christmas story. Now there's a lot of inconvenience around this. But it's interesting, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. There is a timing issue and God knew what he was doing. In fact, the scriptures talk a lot about this. When the right time came, God sent his son. And so in Luke 2 and in Galatians 4, it talks about, hey, there's some timing involved with the birth of Christ. Now, uh, if you've ever watched the internet, I mean, uh, they have drone shots. And a drone shot is when the, the drone comes up and, and it gets above and then it looks down and it, you can see a bird's eye view, basically. Well, God sees things kind of from a bird's eye view and he has a notion of what should and shouldn't happen. And there was some major inconveniences to certain people at this time for Jesus to be born. So let's talk about him just for a second. Now, timing and trust go together. Do I trust that God has my best interest at heart? Well, the first timing issue and inconvenience was that Mary was a virgin. Understand this. In that culture, in that law, if you were an unmarried woman who became pregnant, then the law stipulated that what should happen is uh, the, the, the town, the men of the town will take you to your father's doorstep and there they take stones and they, they beat you to death with stones. They throw stones at you until you die. That, they stone you to death. That, that's inconvenient, by the way. Uh, being stoned to death, inconvenient. And yet Mary knew the rules, she understood the law, and yet when uh, the angel said, hey, you're going to be uh, w with child, and she's like, how can this be? I'm, 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 I'm a virgin. And he said, well, you're going to be overcome by the Holy Spirit. And her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. That is one of the bravest things that's ever been spoken, because she understood the ramifications of this event. And you know what? There's a reputation issue as well. Now, Joseph did the right thing. In scriptures, it talks about uh, Joseph being a, a good man didn't want her to be publicly disgraced. Well, he didn't want her to be publicly stoned to death. And so it was almost like he loved her, and so the least he could do was put her away quietly, divorce her quietly. And, and, and yet, he knew, she knew, Look, I'm from a little town. The town's name is, is Danville. Um, you, you go home and people talk. And I don't know if it's like this, that, like this here in the metropolis of Taylors and Greer, but back home, people talk about you. 
know, they they know who who did what and who's done this and that, and and they they talk. Uh, you know, and I was I was at this funeral last week, and uh, uh, you get around you get around people. It's, it's just funny. It's just funny to listen to them. You know, you know she's uh, that that's not her real hair color. You know, you get that kind of stuff. You know. It's like, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's her hair. You know, it's like well, I don't, I don't know. Um, somebody didn't get mentioned in in um, in an obituary. Uh, I wonder if they're having trouble. You know, because they they weren't mentioned. It's like uh, I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't live here. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, they all know what's going on. Well, you live in a little town like Nazareth, and everybody knows what's going on because it wasn't a big town. And so Mary and Joseph were going to be ridiculed. It's inconvenient to be ridiculed. To do what God wants you to do, even though you know it's going to be inconvenient. It's tough. The, the second part of the inconvenience, they lived in an occupied territory. The Romans occupied this territory. It wasn't really Jewish land anymore. And, and they had an occupying force, the Romans, and they had a, a volatile leader. His name was Herod. We understand, we come to understand how volatile Herod's thinking is when he discovers that a baby has been born who is king of the Jews, and he doesn't like that, and so he just has, in order to kind of take care of the situation, he has all the boys who are two years or younger executed in that region. I mean, God was, he was crazy, he was a nut, he was mean. This is the world that Jesus was born into. We live in America. We have the freedom to worship as we please. But think about folks who don't have that luxury that we have. I, 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 we, we, we know people. You, you, uh, our friend Vlad, who uh, is part of our church, uh, his parents grew up under communism in Romania. I mean, his dad was a pastor, a Christian pastor in a communist country. I mean, they suffer. And so here you have... Uh, Jesus being born in an occupied territory. I don't know if you ever think about that. That's, that's inconvenient. It's not free. Uh, kind of a third thing is he, he was going to be born away from family. As far as we know, Mary had never been to Bethlehem. Why would she be? That's, that's uh, Joseph's people. I, I mean, that's not her people. There's not her cousins. Those aren't her folks. And so Mary was going to go to a place and have a baby, and we, we, we read nothing about who was with her. All we know is Joseph was there. Well, in, to, in modern times, you know, when a woman is going to have a baby, well, she most often wants to have her mother around. Uh, it's a crazy thing about mothers, grandmothers. They, they like to be around when babies are born. They're crazy about that. They love that. They hold those babies. They give advice. They don't even be. You don't even have to ask them for advice. Uh, you give them advice about what the babies needs and and all that. I heard about a pediatrician, and the couple comes in for their first baby well check. You know, and and the pediatrician looks at the baby and says to the dad of the baby, uh, he he is this kid is really cute, and the dad's a little cynical and he says, oh, you say that about every kid. And the pediatrician kind of got serious and said, I really don't. I just say it about cute babies. And the guy goes, well, what do you say about ugly babies? And the pediatrician said, well, I'll look at the dad and say, he looks just like you. Uh, so um, uh, here you have Jesus being born away from family. I mean, that's inconvenient. I think about Mary's life. 
this, this young woman, it, it's likely that she is in her teens. She is carrying a baby. Um, uh, she will forever be ridiculed by her uh, community. Uh, they live in an occupied territory. They're going to a place that, as far as we know, she's never been to. And, and then there's a fourth thing. There's inadequate accommodations. You, you know, we, we read the text that there was no room for them in the end. Now today, when you're having a baby, oh, have you seen the, the, the baby room makeovers? They look like this. You know? Or if you're a NASCAR fan, they look like this. Which I like. Well, it, it says here, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Do you mind if I chase a rabbit just for a couple of minutes? You don't mind. Where are you going to go? Uh, so, uh, I'm in charge. I'm going to tell you. Let's chase a rabbit just for a second. That word in, that's translated in, is the word kataluma in the Greek. Kataluma. Now, uh, it can be translated a lot of different ways. In is one way, but it's not the only way. It's often translated like guest room or guest accommodation. Sometimes it's even called uh, the bride's room or the, uh, the marriage room, something like that. Now, Luke writes this text and he uses that word, but if he wanted to use the word for an inn, he could have, because that's a different word. And he used that word in other writings. In fact, one time he talks about, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan, there was a guy and he gets rolled and, and uh, some people walk by him and then this Samaritan comes along and the point of the story is, uh, while the Jewish people didn't help the Jewish guy, the Samaritan did and that's kind of a, uh, that would, it was to point out that, hey man, you know, these people are okay. And the Samaritan in the story, in this parable that Jesus tells, takes... The, the Jewish guy to an inn, not this word, a different word, and there he pays for his care. Uh, Luke also uses this word, kataluma, in a different context. You, you'll recall that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, wanted to have a last supper. And this is the conversation Jesus has with a couple of his disciples. He says, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. By the way, really odd for a man to be carrying water. That was kind of considered woman's work in that culture. And so that would have been easy to find this guy. He would be, he'd stick out like a sore thumb because uh, men just didn't carry jugs of water. And he'll meet you and you follow him to the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the kataluma? Where's the guest room? And so, if, if Luke wanted to use the word for in, he could have. He just didn't. And when we read the word in, then we start to think, in that text a second ago, let me see if I can find it again, uh, she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. Uh, where do you read innkeeper? Is it there? I'm missing it. It's not there, right? But we, we have, we, um, we baptize our Bibles in a 21st century American culture because we've all been to a hotel. 
you know. And so we waltz into the uh, Marriott or the Motel 6, you know, or the Red Roof Inn or whatever, and, and we ring the bell, you know, ding, ding, ding. And then somebody comes to the door, comes to the counter, and we, we say, we'd like a room for the night, please. And they go, you know, we don't know if you noticed, but there's a neon sign that said no vacancy. I don't think they do that anymore. But let's say back in the day they had a no vacancy sign, and we don't have a place for you, but... Uh, we have uh, like a shed out back where we keep the animals. You can go there. Well, that's not here. This is all we've got. We do that because that's what that's what our experience is. How many of us have gone in and you know uh, we we've had the experience of staying at a Holiday Inn Express. Uh, when I do that, I'm always smarter. And uh, uh, we we stay at the Holiday Inn Express, and, and we've had an experience. Well, we read this and we think, well, well, gosh, that guy was a jerk. Well, what guy? The innkeeper was a jerk. Well, there's not an innkeeper. All right, so let me explain the culture to you just for a second. Bethlehem may or may not have had a hotel. It's a very small town. Now, um... I live in TR. We've got a couple of hotels. Are there any hotels in Marietta? Slater? Any, anybody? There aren't, right? Okay, so Bethlehem is like Slater, only with less rednecks. Uh, okay, so uh, if you're from Slater, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I, I don't even know where Slater is. Anyway, uh, um, Bethlehem likely didn't have a hotel. It may have, but it may not have. It might have had a hostel. You know, have you ever stayed in one of those? That's kind of cool. Uh, if you go to Europe, stay in a hostel, but never watch the movie. Uh, anyway, um, they stayed in a hotel, uh, but there may not have been a hotel in Bethlehem, and it's likely there wasn't. And this is what happened in that culture. They were very good at accommodating folks. It is a honor culture. And so if you came into town and you were my people, I would put you up. Just kind of how it works. So when my mother visits... We, we have a room. That's where she stays. When my kids come to visit, we have a room. That's where they stay. When Miriam's mom comes, we get her hotel. Uh, so um, we put her up. I'm teasing. Uh, uh, uh. But this is that culture. And so think about it. Uh, Joseph is going from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that's where he, his people are from. That's where he's from. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. When, when I was in Salt Lake City uh, this past summer, a couple of my friends here, we were out there working, and uh, we were working hard, and, and this lady drives up, and she leaves some cookies for us, which was great, and we get in a conversation, and, and she says, hey, pastor, I understand you're from Kentucky. I said, I am, I am. I must have mentioned it out there too. I don't know how that how, how people knew. And she said, well, uh, my husband was from Kentucky, and I'm from Kentucky. It's like, oh, for real? And so we chatted a little bit. You know, Kentucky's a big state. And, and so I said, well, where are you from? And she said, well, you've never heard of it. Well, probably not, but we're, you know, because we got places. <laughs> there's a place in Kentucky called Monkey's Eyebrow. You know, we got stuff. So um, I said, where are you from? She said, well, uh, my, my husband was from a town in Casey County. Well, Casey County is next to my town, and my daddy was from Casey County. It's really interesting. My daddy was from a town called Yosemite. You know it as Yosemite, but you're wrong. Uh, uh, we call it Yosemite. 
And she says to me, well, he was from Yosemite. And I'm like, how in the world? Yosemite is as big as this table. I don't know how, how I could meet somebody in Salt Lake City from Yosemite. Well, anyway, you got Joseph. He's from Bethlehem, which is a little town. And he shows up. And he would have had people, more than likely. And he, he would have showed up at one of his people's place. So instead of reading this as in, let's read it this way. Let me go. Uh, here. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so here's probably what happened. Joseph shows up. Everybody's in town for the census. It's not just Joseph. Everybody had to register. And so he goes to one of his cousins or his uncle's houses and he says is there a guest room just like jesus said when he wanted to have the last supper in these homes they they sort of had a main floor and then they would have a guest area kind of up and and the guest area was probably already occupied somebody beat them to it and even though mary was uh, obviously pregnant was really really pregnant if somebody already had the room, they're not going to bump them. In fact, in that culture, if you were old, they gave you extra honor, which is really important today uh, for people like myself. Um, and and so they would have let them stay in the lower section because that text really doesn't say anything about going out to a barn. It just We assume that because we see the word manger. Well, understand the culture. Uh, the first floor was sort of wide open. And at night, you would often bring your animals in because they were valuable. And if you didn't have a place to keep them or a pen or a watchdog or a, a guard, you'd bring your sheep and your goats and you maybe uh, you wouldn't bring your pig in because these are Jewish people, but you'd bring your sheep and your goats and your chickens and, and you'd bring them inside and, and your lambs. And they would all kind of be on the first floor. So when this says that there was no guest room available, it's likely that Mary gave birth sort of in the open area where all the people were. And she laid her child, we know him as Jesus, in the manger. That would have been part of the first floor. So the accommodations maybe weren't the best, and they were a little bit inconvenient. I mean, it would have been better to be in a guest room, and it would have been better to live in a place uh, that uh, isn't occupied, and it would have been better to have a baby at home rather than in a place I've never been to before. There was some inconvenience for, for certain people in the Christmas story. But then there's some really interesting stuff about the timing. Again, God looking at it from uh, the view of a bird, he looks at the whole thing and he sees it. And, and, and there are some things that worked out perfectly. The timing was perfect. You know, in the Old Testament, there are some predictions. They're called prophecies about Jesus and about what this person uh, is going to be like and what timing has to happen for this person to come. Let, let me give you a few. It's a lot of text on here, but I'll explain some of these. God's perfect timing, he predicted that a rescuer would come. And back in Genesis, all the way back in the first book of the Bible, uh, uh, Eve sins and, and, and God says there's going to be a rescuer. 
There's going to be someone that comes to deliver you from sin. And he predicted that the family would, would be through the line of Abraham and, and David. David was like 13 generations removed from Abraham. And, and it was going to be in that line of people. And that it was predicted that he would be born of a virgin uh, back in Isaiah, which is uh, seven or 800 years before Jesus was born. And it was predicted that a star would signal his birth. That's back in Numbers. That's a long time before Jesus was born. And it was predicted that he'd be born in Bethlehem. This is an amazing thing. And it predicted that he'd be receiving gifts from people back in uh, Psalm 72. And it was predicted that his family would flee to Egypt, which it did right after he was born. And it was predicted, God predicted that children would be killed around the time that Jesus was born. That's found in Jeremiah. Uh, If just these eight prophecies, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, if these eight prophecies were to come together in one time, that would be a remarkable, remarkable thing. It really would. In fact, the odds of that are 1 to, to uh, 10 to the 17th power. But in Scripture, there are 48 distinct um, predictions, prophecies about Jesus, 48, uh, which all come true, not just about his birth, but also about his life. Uh, if you were to look at the statistics of that, the odds of one person fulfilling 48 distinct prophecies is 1 to 10 to the 157th power. Uh, Go ahead and count. Uh, I'll give you a couple of seconds. I just know that's a lot of zeros. If we were on Facebook, I'd say, hey, there's a two in there. But uh, uh, there's not. All zeros. It's all zeros, except up at the top. Uh, The odds, the predictions come true in one person is 1 to 10 to the 157th power. Jesus is unique. It's mind-boggling. And the timing was perfect. It wasn't always convenient, but it was perfect. Let me show you why it was perfect. A couple of things. There's something called the diaspora. Diaspora. Now, you, after this, uh, this message is over, are going to be much smarter than all of your other friends who went to church today. I want you to know that. And so, uh, if you're at lunch with some of them, you throw out the word diaspora and just act like you know what you're talking about. Because the diaspora is this. The Jews had their own country, Israel. And for many, many years, they lived in this country, this region, this area. That was their land. They occupied it. Uh, the apex of their kingdom was with David and then Solomon, his son, and then it sort of began to fall apart. And about 580 BC, the Babylonians come in and they conquer the Jews and they disperse, they diaspora them all over the place. The Jews are carried away. Not all of them, but the best and the brightest are carried away. And when I think about it, I think about, you know, uh, what is that uh, weed that when you get it, you blow it and all the little things go out? What's that called? A dandelion. I I think of the dandelion. The diaspora is like a dandelion. And the Jewish people were blown all over the place. And we think of that as a negative. Well, you know, that's kind of negative. Our our country was conquered and then uh, we're scattered. Except, except... When Jesus was born, now there are Jewish people all over the place. They're not all concentrated in one area. And so, Jesus comes to this one area, and he gets a following, and his followers then are persecuted. 
You, you see this in Acts. Uh, they're persecuted. I think Acts 7. Uh, they're persecuted and they go out. They blow the dandelion again. And guess where they go to? They go to all the people in the diaspora. Uh, all the Jewish people who are out and away and in different regions and in different countries. And so the Jewish people who are dispersed, who have become Christians, the Christians are dispersed and they go to other Jews who also become Christians. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant plan. It, it wasn't convenient, but it was brilliant. A, a second thing that makes the timing perfect is the exception clause. Let me explain. The, the Romans had a lot of gods. They had a lot of gods. Uh, in fact, the Romans got to a place where eventually they started thinking that the Caesar was God. And you see that with uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was called the son of a god because um, Julius Caesar was also considered a god. And then you had Caligula, he thought he was a god, and Nero thought he was a god, and everybody had to, everybody had to offer a sacrifice to the gods, including Nero, or including the Caesar, in order to buy, sell, and trade. Well, Jew Jewish people were just not going to do that. It's like, nope, we are monotheists, we are singular worshipers of one god, and we're not going to worship other gods. And they were like, no, you have to. And it's like, we're not going to. And, and the Jews were contrarians in this regard. And they kept trying to convince them, you know, you really need to do this. It's like, well, we're not going to do this. And eventually they just threw up their hands and they said, good grief, we are tired of you. We'll make an exception for the Jews. We'll just make an exception. We're tired of fooling with you. You can have one God. Everybody else is going to have a lot of gods. You can just have one. All right. So the Christians come from the Jews. And the Romans can't tell them apart. And so for 200 years after Christianity was, was born, they got a pass. They, got, they rode the coattails of the exception clause. Because they sort of had a Jewish heritage. They looked a little bit like the Jews. It was perfect timing. It, wasn't, it was inconvenient to get there, but it was perfect timing. A third thing is the Pax Romana. It sounds like a disease, but it's not. Pax means peace. Romana is Rome. The peace of Rome. The Romans were conquerors. But at some point, conquerors have nothing else to conquer. And the Romans sort of, they established themselves. And for the most part, there was peace in the land. Now, if you have men who are trained as soldiers, and there's no soldiering to be done, you have to give them something to do. And so, they said, well, why don't we build roads? We'll have you guys uh, join a construction crew. And so they did. And this is where the expression, all roads lead to Rome, is because the Roman um, system of roads was amazing for their time. It was amazing. And, and their system in and out of Rome, had, they had great roads. And they had highway patrolmen. Romans had highway patrolmen. They had little blue lights on their camels. Uh, uh, you don't hear that from many historians, but it's true. But really isn't true. But anyway, they did, they did have people patrolling. And... The whole idea of safe travel happened right when, just so happened, <laughs> right when Jesus was born. All these things were in place. There, was, there were Jews out there who were ready to hear the gospel because they're waiting for a Messiah. And they 
didn't have to worship the, the Caesar because there's an exception clause. And even though that was really just for the Jews, the Christians sort of tagged along and got that exception clause. And then there were these Roman roads and they went every place. And Paul takes advantage of this. You'll see this in his letters a lot that he's, he's traveling and they're traveling and that they have safe passage because the Romans had built roads because there's peace in the land. It's really interesting. And there's one more. There's something called Koine Greek. It is a language, the Greek language. And everybody who lived in the region of Rome, which was massive, they all spoke a common language. Now, Jesus would have spoken Aramaic, and he would have probably spoken two or three languages. Uh, we don't get that. We're Americans, most of us, and so we don't speak a lot of languages. I, you know, I barely speak English, uh, but I can speak hillbilly, uh, which is, comes in handy occasionally when I'm back home. But... My father-in-law, who was from Switzerland, I believe he spoke six or seven languages. He was brilliant. And he just he's in a culture where the Swiss have four national languages because each region kind of spoke a different language. And so he knew you know, Swiss German, and he knew Italian, and he, he spoke a little uh, Romansk, and uh, he, he spoke um, some French, and, and then they moved to the Swaziland where he was a, a missionary, and he learned how to speak that. I mean, that was kind of common, but there was... Koine means common. There was a common language, and when the Bible was written, it was really important that everybody could read it, and so they all wrote it in Koine Greek. The, the timing... Couldn't have been better. And so when it says, when the right time came, well, God is looking at it from a bird's eye view, and he's seeing, okay, now's the time. Now's the time. Now, let's wrap this up, but let's do it because we need to understand something. Jesus didn't come to earth just to vacation from heaven. It's like, I'm tired of heaven, I'm going to go to earth. He didn't come to just check out what he had created. He came with a specific purpose. And the purpose was, he said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. This past week, I attended a funeral of a beautiful 88-year-old lady, one of my mother's best friends. And So let me explain to her, to you, who she was to me. Growing up, I had a pastor, his name was Brother Hall, Bill Hall, and Brother Hall's wife was named Jenny, and she's the one who just passed away, and Jenny was always involved in the church as we were, and so Jenny taught us uh, uh, songs, she was part of the, the kids' choir leadership, and so she taught us songs, and then she was my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, and then she was my high school, she was my high school boys' Sunday school class teacher. That good grief. And we were stupid. Uh, you know, we, we were high school boys and we just did crazy stuff. But Miss Jenny loved us and we loved her. And we never had to doubt about Miss Jenny and her love for us. And we laid her to rest this week. And a bunch of us were there who had been in her Sunday school class. And, and, and we're reminded. I mean, she's 88 years old. She lived a long, full life. But on Saturday in Kentucky, where the tornadoes went through, 
one girl perished who was going to be graduating from Western Kentucky University on Saturday. She died hours before her graduation ceremony. Life is fragile. And we're reminded life is fragile. And Jesus one time said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. And he's basically saying, I'm ready, (laughs) eager to have a relationship with each and every one of us. There's an old uh, expression, it's sort of from uh, blacksmithing, it's called strike while the iron is hot. And I've never blacksmithed, nor have I been around it, but I do see it on television and what they do is they'll stick iron in a fire until it's red hot and then they'll take it out and they'll place it on an anvil and they'll hit, they'll strike it uh, and, and mold it and make it into something new. They can manipulate the, the metal because it's hot. Which reminds me of one of my dad's favorite jokes. He loved this joke. I don't know why he liked this joke so much, but he loved it. He talked about a guy who comes into a blacksmith's shop, and this guy's kind of cocky, and he picks up a, uh, a horseshoe. Now, the horseshoe had just come out of the fire, but it, it didn't look red. It had cooled off enough to where it wasn't red anymore, but it was extremely hot. And this arrogant guy picks up the horseshoe, and, you know, when it's hot like that, it didn't take him long, and he dropped it immediately because his hands burnt. And the blacksmith's kind of grinning, and he said, pretty hot, wasn't it? And the old guy says, no, it just doesn't take me long to look at a horseshoe. Uh, My dad loved that joke, loved that joke. Well, we, we have to be ready, even if it's not convenient, to do what God has called us to do. In 2 Corinthians, it says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Maybe you're wondering, you know, I wonder what God thinks of me. Well, what God thinks of you is this. He came for a purpose. He came for a purpose. And on that night, we talked about, he goes to this upper room, and he has this meal, and he has a conversation with his disciples, and he says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when everything is ready, I'll come and get you. When everything's ready. He's making preparation. And what's he waiting for? (laughs) He's waiting for just the right time. Yeah, he's waiting for just the right time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and what it means to us. And, And I'm happy to be reminded that things don't always work out the way that we think they ought to, but they always work out the way you want them to. Help us to trust you in all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.